So today's reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because your human limitations... Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, now you offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that are now ashamed, you are ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefits you reap lead to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. I began last week as we started Romans 6 um, with sharing a personal story um, about this passage. And I, w- I won't go into the details of it. It's on, it's on the, uh, the feed, the podcast feed on our website. Um, but about how this, this chapter in particular helped me uh, in a very real way, basically like was a, a significant part of the rescue of my life at a time when I was uh, actually falling apart. Um, and it, it, was, it was certainly true. I, there was a, a period where I had this entire chapter memorized um, and, and I clung to it as best as I, as I, as I could, uh, like my spiritual life depended on it. Um, so, you know, that's great. That, that, that's the sort of thing you want to hear a pastor say is this, this has practically rescued my, my, my mind and heart and soul in, in, in a particularly crucial time. This week, however, as I was preparing to teach the second half of this chapter, I realized something else. And it leveled me, uh, to be honest. It, I, we have some really funny stories from our staff retreat uh, I got, bit, I got bit by a crab in the netting of my bathing suit. Um, and I, that's what I wanted to start this, this sermon with was those stories. But I just was leveled uh, as I was trying to, to final, do final prep for, for this yesterday. Um, in almost the 20 years since I, I first started talking about this passage and taking it seriously, I've, I've made some progress. I really have. There's been growth in my life. But I was really convicted that in reality I've barely scratched the surface I'm not saying this as false preacher humility to get you on my side for the rest of what I want to say. I was preparing in my office and I had to stop and I just put my hands on my face and just sat there. And I knew that I had to confess, that I had to confess before God that I I had to repent, that I had to go a different direction. If you you teach on a regular basis, you might have had had this feeling before, but um, I honestly thought, how on earth can I get up and teach when I am so far from the reality of what, what is present in this passage. But it was like 9.30. There's no way I can call somebody else in at that, at, that, at that moment. So here I am. Paul, at the direction of the Holy Spirit in verse 17 and 18, says this. 
Thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin, but you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. And even as I read that, my spirit rises up in in agreement. There is a grace that is present in this passage, and it is describing, it is the grace of living a holy life. What that means, if if that's an unfamiliar term for you, is, is, is a life that is defined by true freedom. It is a life that is lived day in and day out in step with God. It is a life where the character of Jesus has become our actual character. It shows up in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our choices, in our habits, in our relationships. Holiness for us at times, I fear, actually can be thought of as something that is impossible. It's a stodgy word that means moral restriction for us. It's something that we don't really believe can actually happen. It may seem boring to us because of its strictness. It's something that makes your life unattractive because of how serious you would have to be. No one wants to be seen in that serious religious, re- religious light, perhaps. But the reality is, I don't often, perhaps you don't often, experience the utter relief that holiness is. The river of joy, the true sense of substantial purpose, the relational intimacy with God and others that comes from holiness. As I read this passage, I was ashamed at how little I have tasted the grace of living a holy life in a sustained way. I know, I know, I know grace. I really do. And I bet you do too. But so often the grace that I'm most familiar with is the grace of confessing the same patterns of sin over and over again and knowing that God will forgive. That is a measure of grace. It is real. It is true. And we can't skip past it. But that's not the deepest level of grace in the life God invites us to. It's not just a cycle of returning back to the door and being forgiven. Because we will be. You will be forgiven. But there's a deeper grace of relying on the Spirit every single day to live in a, whole, a holy life in a sustained way. That is the way of true freedom. And I was afraid for myself and afraid for some in our, for our church that maybe we haven't gone very far at all with grace yet. I had to confess that for way too much of my life, I have obeyed from the heart the pattern of life that comes from the messages from the world, that comes from my own selfishness and from temptation. And I want you to know, I I, I think spiritual breakthrough so often is precipitated by confession. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I'm not afraid to name my specific sins for you, even though I'm a touch nervous. Anger. I was convicted at how often I let anger just live in my head, live in my heart, specifically trying to control people that I love the most, uh, that I have the most stake in, in, in their future through anger. Spiritual laziness. Basically, the way this works for me is my job is Jesus, so when I'm off work, <laughs> kind of want to find other ways to rest. And it leads to this sort of spiritual complacency in my time, God shows up in, in, in the moments. He does. He, it's really, like, the, uh, the thing is, the only thing God has to work with are people who are broken and needy and, and need of forgiveness. That's his entire sort of personnel repertoire. So he does, 
He does show up. Even if the only grace we know is asking for forgiveness for repeated sins, even if the only grace we know pastorally is to, to have him provide so richly in the moment, but then my conversational relationship with God was just diminishing. It's, I had to confess loving the comforts of the world, food and drink and entertainment, how concretely I know what they'll deliver if I feel stressed as opposed to going to God. Defensiveness at being critiqued by my wife or our staff team or literally anyone. So I sat in my office with my hands on my face and I confessed, I'm supposed to be a slave of righteousness. I'm supposed to be experiencing true freedom. And yet I've let these patterns of my old master come back in and wrap the tentacles around my heart and mind again. And it broke me. And on top of those sins, uh, I realized something else. And this is what maybe startled me the most. is that I, I, I realized I've been losing my passion. It's been leaking out. We've gone over, some of you who are longtime members of our church, if you're visiting because it's Labor Day weekend, I'm sorry we're starting so personal. This is a little therapy session for me. Um, but if, you, if you've been with us for a while, you know the last two years in, in the life of our church has been really significantly difficult. We've had some of the hardest things we've ever had to go through as a community. But you know what? It wasn't those things that made my passion leak out. It was, uh, it was something else. It was that day-to-day reverting back to listening to the old masters in my heart. And um, when I say passion, I want you to know the, what, the, the word, what, what I mean when I say it. Specifically the definition that passion is how much you are willing to endure for something. That's the definition of passion that I'm talking about. Your passion is how much you are willing to take to accomplish something or to arrive somewhere or to become something. I had to confess that my passion has been shrinking. And and the way I've seen it expressed is there's been many times when I've been unwilling to endure the small or large pains of daily self-denial to grow in Christ-like behavior and character. It's not that I was lacking information. I was lacking willingness to deny myself, take up my cross, and go after him. And that reducing of my willingness to endure that that self-denial for the sake of Christ-likeness was, was making my passion in life shrink. And so it means settling for some kind of spiritual slavery that is absolutely not meant to be my inheritance as a redeemed follower of Jesus, as a son of God through the salvation that Jesus brings. So, during this conviction in my prayer time in my office and after this conviction, I felt a number of things, and I'll tell you a couple of them. One was, I did feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That in exposing my heart, it was painful, but it was also truly felt like a pointer towards the way of abundant life. That I have a good father, I have a good shepherd who's willing to say, hey, wake up. Wake up, you're coasting through your life right now. You're letting things that you know need to be absolutely crucified and put away just linger around. You're tinkering with your soul. I want to bring healing The second, and I'm a bit dramatic, but the second was like, wow, God, if this is me, perhaps I need to step aside from TGC Park Slope and let them have a leader who's further along in this. That was a real thing. I I spent some time praying, God, God, what's going on here? 
And then I felt that that was, uh, that was more of a, a leaping in my, in my human flesh to, to a solution that was uh, quicker, but not the long, slow obedience in the same direction that God was calling me to. And then I thought, you know what, I'm betting I'm not the only one with this challenge. I'm not the only one. And so what do we do? We take the instructions that the Holy Spirit gives and we follow them to life. See, Romans 6 is about real formation of our lives in godly character. Not just filling our minds with ideas about God, not just being able to state, this is my doctrinal conviction, not just being able to say, I prayed a prayer at this point in my life. It's about the spiritual formation of our lives becoming like God in our very real character. To be led and directed in our actual choices by the nature, by by our choices and our nature by the Holy Spirit. Now I want to say this. I'm starting with confession because I don't know. I don't want to pretend and just go on. <laughs> um, but a holy life, the life that's being described here, is the most vibrant, free, joy-filled existence in the world, and it has the benefit of never ending. The most vibrant, free, joy-filled existence in the world, and it has the benefit of never ending. But on a day-to-day basis, it is not what you would call easy. There is a level of Jesus says, if you want to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. My friend Billy Patterson used to say this, and it rings true in my head. The salvation that Jesus brings is an utterly free gift, and following him will cost you everything. One lie that I think is so easy to believe is that we can follow Jesus like kind of like a great life coach without the self-denial of letting our false desires and habits and choices die. And I got grip with this concern <laughs> that we as a church know very little of the spiritual formation of our lives to become like Jesus. If that's not the case for you, great, we're going to need your help. <laughs> but for many of you, if that is the case, I want to tell you there's a surefire way to move forward. It's to confess and go another way. To confess, to be honest, and to name what you're really wrestling with, the, 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 the slaveries of the old master that have crept back into your heart and mind, to name those things, to name the ways that you've had ideas about God, but it hasn't crept into your sustained character. To name those things before God in confession, and then also probably to name them to a few trusted friends. You don't necessarily need to start with a middle school uh, auditorium full of people. And then go another way. This is the spiritual world repentance. It's to begin the the process of of spiritual formation. Uh, To confess and to go another way is a reliable process of, of real character change. One way to understand it is that we fall into a trap that somewhere in the tension between trying and training as followers of Jesus. One one friend I I had put it this way. What percentage of people do you think in this room right now could run a marathon? You don't have to raise your hand if you think you're yes or no there. I'm just going to keep going. 
Some of you are like, I have no desire to do that. I was in that camp so firmly for so long. I have now done two, but I was in the camp of what's wrong with you? Why would you even want to do that? But put aside the issue of desire for a minute. Could you physically do it? And here's the answer. Almost all of you could. Almost all of you could physically run a marathon. Here's what you'd need to do. You need to train somewhere between 12 and 24 weeks, depending on how bad it is now. But if you followed a training plan, and they're out there, that tells you what to do every day of the week, run this much, rest this much, run this much, and you follow that for 12 weeks or up to 24 weeks, by the end of that process, you would be able to go out and run a marathon without getting, without getting injured. You'd be able to complete it. However... How many of you could go out and run a marathon tomorrow and complete it without getting injured? The percentage drops very, very low. Even if you tried really hard, you couldn't do it. If you've not trained, you cannot do it. So here's the thing. The training makes the thing that was impossible attainable for you. And in our, in our spiritual life, many of us know the pattern of being inspired by something, of, of, of feeling conviction for something, and then saying, I'm going to try to be different. And we go out and we try to be different, but we don't ingrain the patterns of training and the new habits that are necessary for character formation to take place. And so then we go out and try to run the marathon and we give up, we get exhausted, we get discouraged, and then we repeat the same pattern and essentially we come to only know the grace that is the grace of being forgiven for the same patterns, which is real and it is grace and we absolutely need it, but it's not the highest life that we're called to. We have temporary bouts of inspired training, but so often they leave us in the same cycle of giving up and repeating what we had done before. Instead, what Romans 6 is beginning to lay out is an ongoing, consistent pattern of Holy Spirit-directed training that takes something that would be impossible for you in the place you are now and making it attainable by the formation of your character to be like Jesus. I want to say this. As your pastor... I am recommitting my heart to training in the way of Jesus. I am recommitting to my own spiritual formation. This is on tape and this is in front of you and I want us to hold one another accountable. And I wanna ask you to do the same. I wanna ask you to recommit to your own spiritual formation. The end result is holiness and eternal life. The end result is the most vibrant, free, joy-filled, God-honoring, God-reflecting type of life possible in the world. It's what makes your cells come alive. It's what makes your imagination come alive. It's what makes you walk with sustained purpose in the world. It gives meaning to your days. It pulls your head off your pillow. It helps you sleep in peace at night. But many of us are not tasting and seeing what we thought was promised in the Christian life because we've tried really hard for for inspired bouts, but we haven't trained in the way of Jesus. We haven't apprenticed. I want to apprentice with Jesus again. I remember some of what it's like. These last six months have beaten me down. But I'm not going to mourn very long that I'm not where I want to be. I think the enemy would love for me to wallow. But I'm going to believe that what Jesus has done on the cross is enough to forgive everything that I confess before you and that I can be truly and and genuinely free. 
And then I'm going to trust Christ for mercy and begin. And ask for the help of the Holy Spirit along the way. Whatever else it does, Romans 6 makes this very clear. Whatever else you say you believe, your master is the one you obey. We cannot live the full, vibrant, joy-filled, God-honoring, God-reflecting life that we are meant to live without obedience. I'll give it to you from the passage if you don't believe me or if you've forgotten Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you were slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Church, don't trip over the metaphor here. Don't get tangled in the complexity of the sentence. There is a pattern of life that advertises itself as freedom, but it utterly traps you. And there is a pattern of life that brings true freedom through union with God. That's what's being said here. I'll give you Eugene Peterson because his translation of this does help bring some of the clarity out. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it is your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. How do you recommit to your own spiritual formation? You obey the new pattern. You obey the new pattern. I'm concerned that we let our expectations for life with Jesus get dangerously low. A bunch of factors, right? We have prominent Christian leader after prominent Christian leader that fails. It's like, how did this person's life just blow up all of a sudden? Was it just like an extreme crazy set of circumstances or was there no real formation along the way so that eventually the pressure cracked Crack them and their character wasn't there. And so, what that leads to is maybe even from our leadership, as we get this sort of what Dallas Willard calls miserable Christian syndrome, which is we just wallow around and say we're miserable sinners, we're never really going to be free until heaven. So, the best we can hope for is to come back regularly and confess our sins that we do over and over again with no intention of changing and get forgiven for them. That's absolutely not a New Testament principle. <laughs> The New Testament doesn't say you're not going to be free in Christ until you die. It doesn't say you're not going to be holy until you die. It says that you can be free and you can be holy now. (laughs) That the eternal life is not something that begins once you die. That it is a quality of life that belongs to God and begins now in our union with him and does carry through past the grave because of the resurrection of Jesus and are, are united to him. So what happens is we become so familiar with our disappointing failures. We get discipled by our own disappointments, and we stop thinking that the promises God makes are for us. I want us to learn the grace of a holy life, not just the grace of being forgiven when we come back over and over again to confess the same sins. I, I, I don't want to offer you good sermons as much as I want to offer you a good life. So, How do we train in the way of Jesus? How do we make real steps to obey what Romans 6 says is true of us? Dallas Willard, who I've already referenced, 
is, is a master. He's, he's done probably as much for the modern Christian as, as any thinker in helping a generation of believers know how to obey this new pattern that's, that's laid out in, in, in Romans and Colossians and other places in the New Testament. What he does is he takes what Paul is teaching here and elsewhere in the New Testament, and he gives some really clear guideposts on how you can go about committing to spiritual formation in a reliable pattern that will work. He has a masterpiece book on spiritual formation. It will be on the resource table next week, um, and you can order it on Amazon while I'm talking. But um, masterpiece book on spiritual formation called Renovation of the Heart. You want a book for your small group to go through? Dynamite. Okay? In this book, he lays out what I just said. He lays out a reliable pattern for spiritual change. It maps right along with what is being taught here in Romans 6. I'm going to lay it out for you quickly. I'm going to lay out the principles for you really quickly as we end this sermon. But I want to tell you, this is what we're going to give ourselves to as a church. We're going to ring this bell over and over and over again. We're we're, we're going to come back to this so, so much that you're going to be so tired of it, but it's going to be part of you. We're going to recommit as a church to our spiritual formation because here's the thing. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he said, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. The, per- the church has no coherence, no purpose. It unravels. It loses its passion unless it's doing this, committing to help form people into the way of Jesus so that they can live as small outposts of the kingdom of God in that big bad world, in the big bad city. It's your very real job in the in the highs and lows and the throes of real life and daily choices and character formation the church is nothing if it's not making disciples and we're glad you're here and we're glad that some of you are in a small group and we want to do many things together we want to have cookouts we want to we want to help meet the needs of community in your life but ultimately the first thing we're called to do is make disciples and be disciples so I'm going to lay some of this out, but then we're going, to, we're going to come back to it throughout the fall. This is where Romans is headed. This is where we're headed. We're going to take a deep dive in here on Sundays and throughout the week into what it is to be spiritually formed, to be apprentices of Jesus. Right? An apprentice. That image is so important. It's not someone who's just sitting and learning and taking notes. It's someone who's working alongside, who's walking alongside, who's, who's following the new pattern. Do you know that our lives are meant to be persuasive presentations of the reality of God in the world? Have you accepted too small a vision of your life? Your life is meant to be a persuasive presentation of the reality of God in the world. And when, and when the Holy Spirit does this, it is wildly creative. Eugene Peterson, I love how he says this. Every time there is a story of faith, it is completely original. God's creative genius is endless. He's never fatigued and unable to maintain the rigors of creativity and resorts to mass-producing copies. Each life is a fresh canvas on which he uses lines and colors, shades and lights, textures and proportions that he's never used before. We see what is possible. Anyone and everyone is able to live a zestful life that spills out of the stereotype containers that a sin-inhibited society provides. Such lives fuse spontaneity and purpose, and I love this, green the desiccated landscape with meaning. He loved writing that sentence. And we see how, how it is possible by plunging into a life of of faith, participating in what God initiates in each life, exploring what God is doing in each event, 
in each event, in these persons who are conscious of participating in what God is doing and saying, they are the most human, the most alive. These persons are evidence that none of us is required to live at this poor dying rate for another day, for another hour. I put my hands into my face in my office and I said, I don't want to live at this poor dying rate for another day, for another hour. I want us to know what, what it is like to be spiritually formed in our character and to know it by experience, not just hearsay. Let us not just have a secondhand faith of other people telling us what it was like. Dallas Willard says that it's an it's a issue of vision, intention, and means. Let this sink in. You don't have to write this down. We're going to come back to this. I'm going to quickly, quickly hit them. Simply stated, you have to have vision. You have to have some sense of what the life that we are looking, that we are after would look like. What does it mean when Paul says we're, we've become uh, slaves to righteousness? What is the vision of what that life would actually, actually look like in practicality? We have to have a vision of what true freedom through union with God would be like. The vision is what makes it worth the journey. To have a sense of where you're going and why it is worth going there. Paul uses two words to tempt us to to engage in this process. And the words are holiness and eternal life. And I'm a little bit afraid that those words have been drained of their imagination-sparking meaning in many of our lives. We've heard them so much that we're we're not allowing them to to alight in us what, what, what they truly represent. He's saying, basically, take an honest look of what was produced in your life when you lived controlled by sin, when you were your own God, when you lived out of the impulse of selfishness. It produced things that were a waste, things that you wish you could forget, even though you couldn't see all the way to the end of those habits and choices, the end was death. But the end of the process of God's work in your life is holiness and eternal life. Willard has two, two examples that he gives immediately after this in this section on spiritual formation in, in his book. I'll give you one of them now. He describes someone desiring to learn a language, say French or Arabic or Japanese. This is what he says. In order to carry through with this simple case of partial personal transformation, they must have some idea of what it would be like to speak the language in question of what their lives would then be like and why this would be a desirable or valuable thing for them. They also really need to have some idea of what must be done to learn to speak the language and why the price and time and energy and money that must be extended constitutes a bargain considering what they get in return. If the vision is strong enough, it will pull us in the direction of entering the work of being formed. Paul is trying to give you a vision of what committing to this pathway of spiritual formation will do. It will produce a a life that is like God. I've said it already, full of integrity, full of creativity, full of joy, full of truth, full of love, most fully and completely alive. That's what holiness is. And it's a quality of life, eternal life that belongs to God, not that we're waiting to start. It starts now and pulls us in to the age to come. That's how he's trying to tempt you forward. That's the vision he's giving you, but vision is not enough. The second thing is intention. We have to say this vision is worth whatever it takes, that it's ultimately going to connect me to 
to, to who I'm supposed to be as a son or daughter of God, that in the long run it's going to save my life and save my relationships. It's going to make me the, the, the person of vocation that I'm called to be, the husband, the father, the wife, the spouse, the, 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 whatever it is, it's going to make me alive in those things. I'm going to go after it with all I have. You actually do have to engage the full reality of your choice-making factory, your willpower, to obey from the heart this pattern of teaching that has claimed our allegiance. You have to commit to obey before you will obey. And if you will not obey God, then you are still obeying the old masters, and they do lead to death. Willard says, imagine a person sitting around day after day, wondering when they're going to learn Arabic, waiting to see if it's going to happen. It's like our prayers, my prayers at times. God, make me holy. God, make me like you at the end of a service. But I have no intention of changing my routine. I was so convicted by what Willard says here. Perhaps the hardest thing for sincere Christians to come to grips with is the level of real unbelief in their own life. The idea that you can trust Christ and not obey him is an illusion generated by the prevalence of an unbelieving Christian culture. In fact, you can no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey him than you could trust your doctor or auto mechanic and not intend to follow their advice. If you don't intend to follow their advice, you simply don't trust them, period. Vision and intention. And the last thing is means. These are the practical steps that you follow to accomplish this vision that you intend to obey. In the, in the language learning illustration, right, you can, you can immediately jump to what would be necessary. You, you got to sign up for a course or, 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 or listen to recordings and start buying the books. Associate with people who speak the language. Immerse yourselves in the culture and practice, practice, practice. If you do that, you will gradually begin to learn the language. There will be a partial personal transformation that takes place in your life because you trained, not just because you tried. And the means by which we grow in the way of Jesus are laid out, I'm going to mention some of them, but they're laid out in the rest of this letter, and we're going, to, we're going to dive into them. In order to be formed to be like Jesus, here's something that you have to do on a daily basis. Are you ready? Commune with God. What rocket science did you think I was going to say? you got to pray. Pour out your heart to him. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Put on the worship song and, and meditate on, 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 on hymns of praise to the, to the Lord. Read, read the daily lectionary. Commit to commune with God. That's what the spiritual disciplines are for. There are different pathways. And right, what, what you do when you learn a, a specific spiritual discipline, there's some real basic ones. Like we have to know how to read the Bible and understand it. We have to know how to pray. There's, there, there's a, a calling of generosity on all of our lives. We have to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. There's some real basic ones. But there's other ones. Like you'll get a, a book of spiritual disciplines. And it'll be like silence and solitude and, and, and learning how to play, pray in a more contemplative way. We're learning how to pray in, in the Spirit in ways you haven't before. And each one of these becomes a toolkit. Uh, is added to the toolkit of your life. And as the Holy Spirit directs, you can take this out and say, I need a period of silence and solitude right now in my life. I know that in a sense, like the things God's been entrusting with have dammed up in my life. I need an outflow of generosity in this season of my life. The means are communing with God. They're the spiritual disciplines. It's also faith and obedience. Obedience. 
Faith is, I want to I say, say it this way to you just for this morning. It's a belief that God can and desires to provide a life for you that is better than you could make on your own. That when Jesus says the life I come to give is abundant life, that he really means it. And obedience is a willingness to obey God and hold nothing back that God would ask for in obedience. Why? Because you're, because you're trusting that he can give you a life that is better than you could make on your own. And when we refuse obedience, we're essentially saying, I'm a little bit sure in this particular area that I might be able to do better than you, God. Last thing I'll say for today is we can't do this on our own. We need God's help by the Holy Spirit at absolutely every turn. And then we need companions. We need, we need other people who, 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 who want to be like Jesus walking with us. I want this church to be a place where this is happening. Not simply by trying, but by training. I said we're going to talk a, a, lot about, a lot about it. There's going to be opportunities for you to form relationships outside of this, this Sunday meeting for this exact purpose, spiritual formation in your life. But I want to pray that God would begin to capture your heart with a vision of what's possible. That you might be able to turn in your innermost being and say, I intend to follow this way. And that we might be able to work out the means together as a body. Now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it is, a, it is a painful gift to recognize at the direction of your spirit that we have been sleepwalking in areas of our life. That we have settled for information about you instead of apprenticing with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us as I recommit to my own spiritual formation and our church recommits to her spiritual formation. God, each person offers you their heart again. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just enliven their imagination with a vision of what that life is. That you would draw us to a place of really committing to obey you. Whatever you say, God, we will do it. And then you would help us in the practicalities and the means of walking on a day-to-day basis with you. I pray that this morning would would mark a turning point in many lives in this room. That we would say, I am turning towards this with all that I am. I believe that I will be embraced by my Father running out to me and set on a new way. Show each of us how we are to respond by the power of your Spirit in these next moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I want to give you just a few moments to sit in silence as we do every week and just pray honestly. Say, God, how are you leading me to respond to what what I've heard this morning, what your word has said? 
And then I'll invite us to the communion table and to worship and to some ministry to one another as we end, as we end our time. So just, there's nothing you need to do right now except ask God, what should I do right now? <laughs> and see how the Spirit answers. just feel led as we're going to go to the table and I'm going to invite any of you who, who want to receive prayer forward in just a moment to just name a few lies one more time specifically the lie that uh, holiness is primarily restrictive <laughs> actually it is the most free way that you could live, the most expansive, creative way that you could live. That holiness is an impossible burden that you couldn't possibly manage. You're right in that. It's not something you could possibly manage, but you have been given every resource you need in the Spirit of God. And holiness is actually an utter relief. 
It is the light and easy yoke of Jesus. The last thing as we come to this table, this meal represents the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. What do you think God would hold back from you in the process of this type of change taking hold in your life? He's literally let his body be broken and his blood be shed so that you would know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live by the Spirit and not by the way of the old masters. Church, as you come, come to freedom. For many of you, God will have put something on your heart that you need to confess and turn away from, and and we want to do that repentance together. So there will be people up here that would love to pray with you about anything and everything that God might have put on your heart. But we're all going to come to the table, and we're all going to lift up our our, our freedom-giving God in worship. We are no longer slaves to the old masters. We're given the gift of holiness and eternal life. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, Bless this meal, the bread and the cup. Bless your church as she comes forward. May she run into the arms of freedom. May we minister well to one another, trusting you and obeying you in the things that your spirit leads us in. Would you, be, would you take great joy as we lift your name up in praise and just guide these response times by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.